Well, Paul, we're on day eight of the Songcraft 12 Days of Christmas countdown, talking to some of the writers of Christmas classics. And, uh, you know, the old song says, on the eighth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me eight maids of milkin'. And mm. I have no idea what that means. Uh, thanks for handing it over to me right then, <laughs> as if I know what a maids of milking is. Or a maid of milking. I don't, I don't, I don't think I care for that. <laughs> the idea of a maid a milking? I don't I don't want to know what it means. I I I think it's yeah. it's not a great gift whatever it is. No, uh, and why is it why is it always women having to do all the milking? Yeah, what's up with that? How come there can't be like eight men a milking? Yeah. <sighs> Classic you know? sexist Christmas totally. song. Um, you were talking the other day about Last Christmas by Wham. Yes. And you uh, said that that is one of those Christmas songs that over the years has kind of grown on you yeah. um, to become one of your favorites. Um, I have to say I have very much have the same experience with uh, Christmas Wrapping, the song that we're about to talk about here in a moment. Um, that's a song that... Uh, the horn line is so distinctive. Yeah. I feel like I'd, I'd heard that song just kind of shopping in stores and in the mall or whatever in the holiday season for years. I never kind of really consciously paid attention to it. Um, but it like dug itself into my brain just like without me consciously being aware of, of the song. And now um, that's one of those that I actively seek out uh, every holiday season Really, like almost for the baseline, for nothing else. But it's such a cool record. Well, it, speaking of the horn line, I I think it's going to have to be, in my estimation, the best horn line in a Christmas song. And I don't even know that there's a close second. I don't even know if there's a second. Is there yeah. another Christmas song you can think of that has a definitive horn line? I bet that the Kenny G Christmas albums got stuff all over them, but I never heard them, so I don't, I don't know. It's different. But <laughs> yes, okay. Right. There's probably some yakety sax and some kind of Brenda Lee Christmas song or something too. But right, um, right. yeah, no, I I can't think of uh, I can't think of a very distinctive sax line in a Christmas song. I'm sure that our listeners will immediately think of ten of them and and let us know uh, what idiots we are. But uh, please tell us. We love to we love to find out what idiots we are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm well aware. I need, I need to find out what, what idiots we are, but I'd, I'd like to know what you think about what idiots we are. Uh, so we talked to Chris Butler, who is a, a very interesting man. He um, went to Kent State, and he was there the uh, very dark day of the violence that erupted on the campus hmm. uh, back in the 60s, which is um, wild to have sort of been eyewitness to that pivotal moment in American history. He also has the distinction of living in the house that uh, Jeffrey Dahmer grew up in, yeah. which is interesting. Um, he said he got a good deal on it. So, I mean, <laughs> hey, you know, you got to admire, got to admire a man's practicality. I hope you didn't uh, overpay for Jeffrey Dahmer's childhood home. <laughs> yeah, that would be unsettling. Um, I think if I lived in Jeffrey Dahmer's childhood home, I would never wake up at night to go to the bathroom or get a glass of water and not be scared to death. That's true. Yeah. I, I don't think I would ever wake up yeah. I, I, <laughs> but it, it was it was a truly interesting and enlightening conversation and it, and it was fun for me because i i didn't i hadn't put two and two together and and oftentimes this happens to realize that i know what boys like was also a, a waitress's hit yeah. um which that's another kind of ubiquitous song yeah exactly um so uh we're gonna share with you guys a little bit of our interview with chris butler talking about the now classic christmas rapping uh what Island did was 
somehow sell our contract or somehow over to a New York label called ZE Records. Now, ZE was a um, uh, very interesting label. They they had a bunch of weirdos. They had a bunch of very glossy. They they called themselves Mutant Disco. Um, uh, it was run by a fellow named Michael Zocco. Somehow, in early summer, 81, uh, I hope I'm getting my chronology right. I think so. Michael came up with the idea of, I'm going to, you know, for our label, wouldn't it be great if we made a Christmas record huh. with all the artists, which would be very mutant again, because, you know, some of them are, some of them are pretty twisted. You know, <laughs> I, Alan Vega is not someone who comes to mind when you think of warm and fuzzy. <laughs> you know, this was kind of the last thing I needed, like a hole in the head, because we were very busy. I'm trying to write uh, a lot of songs. Um, uh, we're on the road. I think we kind of hoped that he would forget about it. But a little while, a little while later, in, in August, he said, okay, I, I, I booked you into um, Electric Ladyland, which is, you know, Jimi Hendrix's uh, studio on 8th Street, Top Shelf. Yeah. And um, ready to record a Christmas song. <laughs> so, shit, I, I, I had to... <laughs> you know, come up with something, and I put, took a little bit of this, and took a little bit of that, and um, one of the, there are many ironies inside this tune, but one of which is I, 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 I had a really rough family upbringing, and Christmas was as dismal as dismal can be, and um, I was pretty much a Scrooge, and, uh, you know, didn't want to hear about it, did everything I could do to avoid it. At the time, I was working as a freelance writer, and most of most all of New York kind of stops at December first, and especially the freelance people, uh, if they've had a good year, well, I was pretty scuffling, and so um, I'm like way down on the on the uh, rolodex of people to call, and I couldn't afford to turn things down, and I had like five deadline writing projects, um, you know, that were due, uh, and and. It, it, it was all very complicated, and I didn't have time or interest in really doing this, but it was it's the head of the label who asked us to do this, and, right. you know, that, that has some sway. Sure. So um, I came up with this thing, and I had some cassettes of me kind of grunting into a tape recorder trying to write this thing, and we rehearsed it a little bit. Um, I, could, I could take credit for things like Corn Line, and the initial bass lick, but I have to give credit for uh, you know to Mars for the for the uh, arrangement. We uh, we got our friend uh, Dave Buck um, to play trumpet, and of course Tracy's bass part. Um, you know she took she took that little riff and just ran with it, and you know frankly her bass playing makes the song. Oh, the bass line's amazing, and that and that horn line is. That that horn line stands up with like some you know Motown horn lines. I mean, it's it's so recognizable. Yeah, I I have to agree. I was thinking you know a little stacks fold, but um, but yeah, Motown whatever. I mean, the idea was the idea of using big thick brass was it's kind of like a Salvation Army, you know, um, Bach brass chorale or something, you know, yeah. marching band. Um, Christmas in New York, you know, is as wonderful as all the other Christmas in New York songs 
have celebrated. There is kind of magic in the yeah. air, you know. Mm-hmm. There's uh, there's a feeling of good. This is a pretty, you know, grumpy, fast-moving city, and things do lighten up. And and you do have, you know, snow in Central Park, and people ice skating, and uh, you know, the windows at Macy's or or Lord and Taylor's or uh, B. Altman's, you know, and. Uh, they do start roasting chestnuts, you know, uh, next to the uh, hot dogs, um, you know, that are bubbling away, uh, and, and the food uh, stands. And um, it, it has a, it, there is a real secular kind of magic that takes over in New York. And I know, I knew that that I wanted to write a secular song, and I also knew that I needed to somehow capture that mood of, of you know, New York's Christmas spirit making everything all right, even for just a little bit. You know, something secular working in the background that um, people can feel, but even if you don't acknowledge it, 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 it can come into play uh, in your life. And that's kind of how the arc of the, of the story plays out. I mean, it's pretty corny. I mean, the ending is like, <laughs> you know, it's pretty corny, and obviously she's she's pretty, the character's pretty cynical, you know, worn out and just wants a break, and so all of that kind of came together to make the story. And is it true Is it true that you, you finished the lyrics in the cab on the way to the studio? Literally. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> and um, that's, you know, I know that's kind of a cliché, uh, among songwriters, but it is true. And um, Patty had worked on what I had kind of before, but, uh, you know, we we met a wonderful, we had a wonderful staff engineer named Mike Frandelli, and um, we were in Studio B, I believe, and uh, uh, we recorded this thing, I think, in, I think we tracked it the first day, uh, overdubs, vocals the second day and mixed it the third day boom that's it forgot you know and then turned it in and pretty much forgot about it um because it felt like a throwaway Hmm. i mean we gave it full attention because we're kind of pros and perfectionists right you know it wasn't slop but um it wasn't you know i don't think anybody considered it to be you know, anything other than uh, honoring a request from our label. Of <laughs> wow. Well, this was the same era when Debbie Harry included her version of rapping in Blondie's big hit Rapture. Um, and the waitress's lead singer, Patty Donahue, kind of had that similar disaffected, not quite singing, not quite rapping style. Um, and you were obviously based in New York at that time. I'm curious if you were consciously soaking up those early hip hop influences. Well, um, sure, because I mean, New York at that time period, this is 79, 80, 81, 82, all that. Um, you had phenomenal, phenomenal music scenes. You had, uh, uh, uh Latin music, uh, uh, the salsa, salsa move was everywhere. You, ha- uh, we had bands coming over from England playing at a club called Hurrah. Oh yeah, you still had, of course, CBGBs and all the clubs, CBGB and all the clubs going on and all that. Right. But you had, you had the loft jazz phenomenon. Man, you pay five bucks, you get a warm Budweiser and a seat in, in, <laughs> in, in one of these lofts and see these, you know, giants of, 
of, of jazz yeah. playing um, in these uh, kind of private uh, spaces. Yeah, you, we were very much in, in uh, you know, you're inundated with music. And yes, rap was, was coming out, and the title is a pun on, was it Curtis Blows? Because it was rapping with an R. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I like the idea of rap because the, the, the story... You know the kind of short story aspect of it is a O. Henry twist at the end, and it all wraps up neat, you know, neatly and tied with a bow at the end. So yeah, um, you know, it's been covered by the Spice Girls, Kate Nash, Miranda Cosgrove, Bella Thorne, Kylie Minogue with Iggy Pop, the cast of Glee. I mean, you know, it's like it, it's the Christmas gift that keeps on giving to you. <laughs> Why do you think that particular song has endured as a modern holiday classic? Well, um, I, I, I've tried to think about it a lot. I can throw a couple ideas out. Um, uh, one thing, man, I got to tell you, um, if I listen to it on a hi-fi or whatever here, you know, a stereo system, it's okay. But boy, does it roar out of the speakers in a, in a car radio where they have all that compression and EQ. Huh. So it sounds really good on the radio.
Thank you. 